Let's pray and we'll begin. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us a resting place by which everything else outside that has been going at frenetic pace can come to stillness, a condition in which it's necessary for us to hear your voice. We thank you, Lord, that you can singularize our minds, our hearts, our souls to be waiting upon you and beholding you. So we ask you, Lord, that more than words spoken, there will be such a tangible presence of yours that we will be taken by you, Lord. We pray that you speak in a way that only you can speak, arrest us, and put within us the very substance of the thing that you're speaking, that we will experience reality even before we leave this place. Come, Holy Spirit. We welcome you. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was saying, um, we were in Kauai last week. And uh, for those of you who have been to Kauai or Kauai, one of the things that, that strikes would strike you is the luxuriant vegetation that's there in nature. That's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Uh, it's, and the, it's, the climate is not tropical, it's equatorial, which means that if it's equatorial because it's near the, the equator, the kind of uh, foliage and the kind of uh, um, growth that's, that's there is on a whole different level from tropical climates. Yeah? It's so luxurious that, that, um, that it's, it feels like the vegetation is cramping into each other. You just see just nothing like, but abundance, abundance of green, abundance of uh, verdant uh, vegetation and all that. It's beautiful. It's ex- absolutely beautiful. It's, it's almost as if you feel like nature has gone rampant, you know? Unlike humankind that's gone rampant long ago. This is special, and I remember... Cindy and I were looking at the, the, the escarpments and seeing hundreds of feet of waterfalls coming down. And she told me, I just feel like I have to bow down and give thanks to God. She was actually weeping when she was t- telling me that. The sense of the awe that speaks through the physicality of nature. It was quite amazing. What's really interesting about that place is that Unlike other places that are naturally uh, well endowed, this place was like a small town in Malaysia, actually. It reminded me a lot of, as we were driving through, of the small towns, the kampongs, the villages that we inhabit in, in Malaysia. It was, uh, it's quite different from the commercialized kind of uh, exploitation of nature. There was... There seemed to be, at least, as we went round the, round the island, there's only one highway that rings the, 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 the island. There seemed to be a moderation in terms of the built-up area, except for one place. And that place was so built up, it doesn't even seem to fit in with Kauai. It looks as if it's LA transplanted 
onto this spot in the, to the north of the island. To me, it feel like, felt like a blight to it. And it had, of all things, a copied statue of, uh, of something that was in Rome uh, featuring Neptune. You know, that famous, that famous statue, that statue fountain. It just didn't seem out of place. But who am I to judge? These people actually lived there. But it was, you know, on GPS, you can see everything. But when you come into that town, and I won't mention its name, it's off the grid. It is so private and it's so full of golf courses that you don't actually see anything. It seemed like humankind had left his mark there. <laughs> and it just made me think about this quite a bit. And I felt the Lord quicken my heart when, I, when we came back and was talking about, and Cindy and I were talking uh, at home about this experience that we had in Kauai. It's almost as if... Um, uh, St. Isaac of Damascus, you know, puts it this way, that creation cries out and you can hear the voice and the fire of creation in your spirit. It's not paganism. It's not sort of hocus pocus. There's something about the fact that creation is set apart, is sacred, something about God. And our spirits can actually sense that, right? Can actually sense that. I wanted to talk a little bit about that because there's something about about this that, that um, speaks to me. And I want to share that with you by turning with you to um, Genesis chapter 2. Just one verse in Genesis 2. So God had created the heavens and the earth. He had created uh, the earth and all the... Um, rivers and vegetation and animals and all that. And in verse 5, it said, sorry, in verse 15, then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden, you may eat freely. Okay. From any tree of the garden, you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Okay? What I want to focus on is this phrase, you may eat. You may eat. And I, I, it struck me when I read that phrase, that when God says, you may eat, He has a completely different meaning from what humankind interprets when God says, you may eat. When God says, you may eat, he's saying, you can eat at my pleasure. Because I love you, I give you permission to eat. But the permission that you have to eat is bounded by the fact that I'm the Lord of creation. I'm the Lord of, of, of that which I give you permission to eat. Now what humans do is that we take it and we run with it. You may eat. And so what we say is, I can eat. And of course, I'm used to saying I can rather than I may. 
because I may sound, it takes a little bit more effort to say, right? I may eat. The M sound is harder than can, the, the K sound. I can eat instead of I may eat. And what human beings do is this. When we are given permission, it, we're just like little kids, right? Our parents or somebody very beneficent, somebody loving, somebody says, you may play in this garden or you may have this amount of money or this, you may come into this room, you can use this, play, this space. What we do as little child is this, we take it, we forget the one who has given to us permission and we say, this is mine, I can do what I like with it, I own it now. True? What happens with, with when God says, you may eat it, what he's saying is this, you, can, you may eat it at my pleasure. I am still the Lord. In fact, if you tie yourself to me and you eat under my pleasure, under my grace, under my hospitality, you will be not only getting the thing that you have taken, taken for yourself, you will have my pleasure as well. You will have my grace. You will have my love. And you will stay connected with me. But what human beings do is this. We take rights and take what God has given to us and we make it our own autonomous property. Therein becomes our fall. Our fall is that we cannot take things given to us without making it our own and making us, making us say, uh, feel we can do whatever we like with it because it's mine. It's not yours anymore. This is what causes inheritances and, uh, and legacies and, uh, and, uh, and wills and trusts to go absolutely wrong, completely horribly, when children say, I want my inheritance now. I want it now. It's mine. It's mine because it's designated to me. Does that make sense? When God gives a promise, He doesn't give a promise so that we can do whatever we have and have the space and autonomy to do whatever we like with whatever God says is our right now. When you do that, you cut God off. You cut the giver off from the gift. And when you do that, you live a life in which you are, you are bound up and instead of escaping uh, the, the, the trappings, of nature, of the trappings of law, we actually are, we are actually found trapped within our own self. And when we are trapped within our own self, and we take things upon our own self, we begin to actually come face to face with our own sin, our own brokenness, and we get face to face with our own avarice, our own restlessness, our own darkness, our own depression, our own disease, our own psychological brokenness. What happens is this, when we become autonomous, we create actually a prison for ourselves by, by being, wanting to be free from the given who has, giver who has given to it. So when God says, you may eat, we have actually interpreted as, it's my, it's my property to eat, I can do whatever I like with it, and eating is mine. Nobody can say anything about it. The, the human condition, because of sin, has made us alienated from God just by that, by our own self, our, our own autonomy, our self-referencing. And I want to speak about that because I believe that the root of many, uh, uh, many sins and many uh, spiritual diseases 
lies in this fact. We don't know how to live at God's grace and under God's pleasure. We think about it in a binary way. It's either God's or mine. If it's, it's someone else's, not mine. That's why we have to own. We're constantly wanting to own. We want to own because we want to have the freedom to do whatever we like with nature, with the thing that's given to us, even if it's a small space. Our sense of ownership is an ownership that is godless. What we want is God-free space. What we want is others' free space. That's how we deal with our holidays. Or as you say here in America, your vacation, our, va- our vacations. We want responsibility-free space so that we can have the freedom to do whatever we like within us because it's sanctioned by God. You may eat. We've co- changed it into you can eat, which is rather different. In fact, the difference is huge, it's infinite. When we say, I can do whatever I can, what I have the ability to, and the only mediation between me and what I can do and what I can't do is technology or my own will. And so I I believe, actually, a lot of our own spiritual unhealth comes from this kind of thing, in which the subtle difference between you may eat or you can eat, the difference between God giving us something and us taking it upon ourselves so much so that the giver is not no longer in the picture, that's where it is. That's where it is. And I believe that Adam and Eve, the moment they began to take that attitude, they were already fallen. They were already fallen. If you turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15 will be our text for today. Please turn with me to that. Luke chapter 15. We'll read it from verse um, 11. I wanted to just say that as, a, as an, introduction, an introduction. And he said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. You see that? So he divided his wealth between them, and not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. So you see that what the son basically took the, the situation as is as follows. Well, this is my inheritance. It's due to me, actually. I'm going to take it. And I can do whatever I like with it. And the first thing I'll do is that I will not live under the pleasure of my father. I will not live under the auspices of my father. I will live under nobody's auspices. I will live under my own auspices. And he takes it and he goes. He does not actually realize that, that actually by doing that, he's doing a few things that actually cut him off from life. Now, the first thing he's, he's doing is that he's saying, that actually the inheritance belongs to him. The father is brokenhearted because the father should not actually do that, should not actually give it to him. Uh, and we all probably know that in that culture, to say, give me the inheritance now, is tantamount to saying, I wish you dead. I wish you're dead. As far as you and I are concerned, 
you're dead to me, I'm dead to you. The amazing thing in this parable is that the father actually allows the son to actually take it. Most fathers, according to the proper uh, convention, would say, I'd kick you out. What do you mean you you want me dead? That's exactly what in that culture it would have been tantamount to. What do you mean like that? Or at least, at the very least, he would say, it's not time for you. It's not yours. It's mine. It's mine until I give it to you and I'm dead. Until such time, I've designated it for you, but you live under my pleasure and I will train you to be able to have this. But you will never be, you cannot be separate from me. Now, human beings have separated themselves from God and made themselves autonomous to such an extent that we consider freedom in a certain way. We consider freedom in a very, very different way from God actually considers freedom. Yeah. You know, in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, right, verse 17, it says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom or there is liberty. In fact, it's important for us to understand that liberty does not lie in the fact that there is no one to molest you or to block you or to prevent you or to, or to um, uh, entrap you. Liberty is not the absence of those things so that you can do whatever you want. Liberty is the fact that God is present and when He is present, He causes the powers that He has given to you in you to be liberated to such an extent you can fulfill what He has called you to do even though they are way beyond your own ability. Now the Bible's um, uh, understanding of freedom is very different from the understanding of freedom that we have from our own um, libertarian or liberal understandings. Our own uh, understandings, the human understandings of freedom, is the absence of entrap- or, uh, uh, of uh, impediment. The absence of ap- impediment. Absence of blockage. That's our understanding of freedom. So when we talk in normal parlance, okay, and I'm just normally talking to ourselves, we talk about freedom as like, I'm not being blocked. I have the freedom of choice. I have the freedom of options to do this or that or that. That is freedom. As far as God is concerned, freedom is defined by one thing, and that is the presence of the Holy Spirit. So when a person turns to the Lord, right, he's transformed by the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I would put it to you that there are many of us who are, who, are, who, are, who are desiring two things and find these two things very, very elusive. One, to belong. And second, to be free. To be not oppressed. To be not impoverished. To be not trammeled by chains. And so what you find is this in, in um, Luke chapter 15. The, the son, the youngest son says, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. Okay, f- give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And so he says, he divided his wealth between them and not young, many days later, the young son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. I will put it to you that actually even before he left, the young son had died to the father and the father had died to him. He had the inheritance, but he was dead. He was spiritually dead, and he was relationally dead. As far as the father was concerned. Because he had taken that choice. 
I'd like us to just take a moment to think in terms of, of, of our life in God. God has given us tremendous freedom. God has given us tremendous promises that have to do with life and liberty and God, God's, God's, God's life. But all these promises are, are predicated upon His presence. His presence. Not a liberty that is a God-free liberty. Not a fr- freedom that, that, that lies in our snatching of that ability. We tend to think of freedom in terms of power. And that is why we use words for power. We don't mind that the words that we use are inaccurately used. We grow up learning to choose words carelessly as long as they're powerful and they have a powerful effect upon people's life. That's our freedom. But what happens is that by doing that, we call people Nazis just any old how. We call people communists. We call people, what, 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 what are the things that we say? We call people hegemonists. We call people these things. And we use these big words that we don't understand because they have power. We call people socialists. We call people all kinds of, 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 of things because of the fact that we will grab the power of words to have an effect upon people but are not responsible for that. And what God wants to do is to actually bring us into the, 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 the tether and, the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and His arms of love so much so that our freedom does not need us to grab power or grab powerfulness so that our freedom is based upon our status, our position, our lack of being blocked, but our freedom is based upon the presence of Christ, so much so that you can go into prison and still be free. You can be the poorest person and still be free. You may have a lack of education and still be free. You may have people who are being, being, being treated better than you, and you're still free. The, 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 the Christian world has not enough examined what the Christian's freedom is, what the freedom of Christ, the liberty of Christ is. The freedom of Christ is this, when He is allowed to come and be God inside us, and He becomes, and His presence comes, He gives us liberty. Amen? It's not something that you can create as a space for, for yourself uh, or anything like that. Today we are experiencing the freedom and the liberty, so to speak, of convenience, of technology. It's an amazing thing. If you read Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment, okay, how many of you have read it? Okay, all right. You see the struggle, the psychological wrestling and the torment that this person who's a law student <laughs> goes through before he murders another person. And then you see the torment after that. Today, we have conveniences that come from electronics and come from entertainment that make it so easy for us to murder someone. We have got the freedom... And you think about it, 
There is coming, there's come a time in which to just kill somebody, you just have to click. It's just a keyboard there. Just click. Just click. So should you be sentenced to jail because you clicked or because you murdered? Whatever the case may be, it is becoming easy to sin because of the freedom that technology gives to us. But what it does is that when freedom is given to us, suddenly we come face to face with our own self-will. We come face to face with our own darkness and all that. And that is why when God said to Adam and Eve, you may eat, he was not saying, you can go off somewhere and do whatever you want because what he was saying is this, you need to be under my tutelage. You need to be under my rule. I feel that as, as a result of that, God is actually doing a work to bring us back to himself and see, see how that actually works. worked out. Let's continue reading. Verse 14. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. Okay? Because he had squandered his estate with loose living. I'm surprised that, um, you know, they did a survey. Now, this is not true of every place, but it, that in Florida, the, more, the vast majority of people who actually uh, uh, win money on a lot, lottery, actually, they lose most of it. They end up, end up quite poor. And this, this uh, survey was done a few years ago. That's not true of everywhere, just to, be, just to be sure. I'm not saying that that's true everywhere, but it's interesting that in Florida that actually was, uh, was, uh, was noted. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. Verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly filled his, have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And so he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. And now his oldest son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned all the servants, servant, one of the servants, sorry, and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. 
father so gracious. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat, so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when his son of yours come, came, you had devoured, who has devoured your wealth, and with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. All that I have is yours, that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead, and he's begun to live, and was lost, and he has been found. It's an amazing story, isn't it? But you see, the son, the younger son, had been prodigal from the moment he, was, he had decided that the inheritance was his already to do whatever he liked. When the son determined his own autonomy, he basically said, I'm dead to your authority over my life. You are dead to your hospitality to me, your fatherhood over my life. I feel that in America, we have a problem. The problem is this. We've taken rights and we've taken promises and we've taken things that God has given to us. And the problem is not that we have appropriated to ourselves, but we have appropriated it in such, such a way of, to exclude God from the things that we believe are ours. The thing about the promises, though, is that most of the time, if you have that attitude, they don't come to pass. They don't actually happen. Sometimes they do, but they don't. Why? You know why? Because these promises are things that you have to grow into. You need to be t- discipled into it. You need to grow into it. If you don't grow into it, it doesn't happen. And you look at the promises, and some of, some of us will say, no, and it never come to pass. The thing about it is that we perhaps have found an error, a certain way in which we missed something. We missed something in the calculation, and there's something about the equations that we got wrong. There's one factor that's missing. And that is that when God gives us a promise, He invites us to be tied to Him. He invites us into discipleship where he says, you be my son. You know what that means? And this means, this means for daughters as well. You come under my wing and I will train you. If you take it to yourself, it will just die on you. Because what will happen is that when you take the power, the, the freedom and the resources that I have for you and you make it your own and you exclude me, you will be trapped in yourself. I, um, I've seen that a lot of times. I wonder whether you've experienced this. You know when you're really stressed out, the thing you want is a stress-free space. A stress-free space in which there's nobody there. That you can do anything you want with it. Have you found that? You... It's funny, I'm just speaking about myself, okay? So, you may think I'm weird. When I'm really stressed out, when there's been a lot of stress, okay? When there's been a year of COVID or whatever it is, and you're on all the time, the thing you want to do is to get away from everybody. You want to get away from anything that sounds like a responsibility or a thing that's not been done. You want to get away from the prospect of having to do something difficult. 
so that you can be free and have space to be able to do whatever you want. Whatever you want. Think about it. Whatever you want. Go wherever you want. Wake up anytime you want. Go to bed anytime. Watch any TV program you want. Whatever. You are free. Nobody looking over your shoulder. Nobody expecting anything from you. Nothing. Nobody. You don't, you don't even have to have the burden of having to know, okay, I've got I've to meet this person at this time or I have, to, I, have to, I have to give this amount of money to someone else. No, you are completely free. The prospect sounds fantastical, isn't it? Have you not experienced that? I've had three sabbaticals in my time in VCF. The first sabbatical was in 2007, I think, 2007. We were going through so many meetings at night, so many meetings in the daytime, and the meetings were so stressful that when it came to time for my sabbatical, I was so ready to go far, far away. So I went to Malaysia. That's halfway across the world. If you keep going, you're coming back already. And just to think about going to Malaysia was good. And, 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 the, and the church in Malaysia said, you don't have to preach, you don't have to do anything, you just do that. And so I found myself by myself. Of course, there were children and the family was there and my family was there and there's lots of, lots of things. But there was a sudden sense of like freedom. Yeah? And then it was during that time I thought, oh, this is great, this is great. I, th- I made a list of all the things that I wanted to do that I now had the right to do. That I didn't have to w- be accountable to anybody to do about th- doing these things. And I made a list of them. I started doing it. And the first thing I said was that I'm going to have time to read. And I'm going to have time to pray. I'm going to pray and pray and pray. I'm going to pray to such an extent that I will feel healthy and I'll feel vibrant and, and, and alive again. I will pray until all the, the pressure and all the, 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 the sense of oppression has been, has been taken away. All the gunk has been taken away. So I decided to pray. You know, the first thing that happened, I came up against myself. And when you start praying, when I started praying, I realized that it was harder to pray during my sabbatical than when I was very, very busy. When I was very busy and I had to account to a lot of, a lot of, a lot of parties, I found that I was, when I prayed, I just called upon the Lord. He was there because His presence was there. Now I was in Malaysia having my, my sabbatical and I would pray and I feel nothing. Not only do I feel nothing, did I feel nothing, I felt my own sense of loss, my own sense of weakness, my, sen- my own sense of hopelessness, my own sense of despair, my own sense of negativity. All the negativity that was, that, 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 that was un- subconsciously um, um, just suspended there all came into my mind and I found that prayer was the thing that was most painful for me. And I wanted to have a sabbatical so that I could have like prayer. You see, what happens is this, when you're on your own, you are faced with yourself. And T.F. Torrance says, is this, we all are talking about free will. We want free will. 
Actually, when we, want, when we get free will, we come up against our self-will. And I realized that in that time, there was so much of a, of a push to just do things that are shallow, not sinful, but just shallow, superficial, just eat a lot. And you know, it's Malaysia, so eat a lot. Food is like nothing on earth. Eat a lot, eat a lot. Do all the things that a, a, a relaxed soul would do. And soon after, very soon after that, I realized there is something really wrong in the way in which I'm believing for this. I thought that the sabbatical is where is a time where I don't have to account to anybody. I don't have any responsibility. I began to realize that I faced myself. And as I faced myself, I did not like what I was seeing. I began to realize that without the appointment of God, without the circumvention and the, and, the, and, the, and the trembling of God's presence, I, in of myself, am actually full of anxiety, full of weakness, full of self-doubt, full of hopelessness. I would wake up in the morning and feel completely hopeless. Unless I had this liberty of the Lord, and that's why I began to understand when the, when the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, where the spirit of the Lord, there is liberty, is, there is liberty. This is not, I'm not talking about work at, uh, as opposed to, to rest. I'm not, that's not the issue. The issue is autonomy versus being at God's pleasure. Amen. There is this thing that's in us that needs the Holy Spirit even in a, in a time of rest, even in a time of vacation, it needs the Holy Spirit. There are other times I would go to, on vacation. I remember once we went on vacation and it used to drive Cindy bananas. Um, the moment we start our vacation, maybe it'll be four days, four days of vacation. More often not, now it's three days, okay, three days. I would start from the moment we arrived, I'd say, Cindy, we've got, Two days and 23 hours left. And then after that, we have three days and 22 hours left. Oh, man, we lost two hours. And, I'm, and every day I would do the same thing and all that. It felt as if time was never, never standing still. It was always depleting. We all have our weird things. I have mine. Don't tell me your problems. I have problems of my own. I mean, problems of a vacation. There's something about it that makes me, made me realize that when I am autonomous, I come against myself. But that's exactly where God wants to be. Amen? He gives us freedom. But the freedom is a gift that He gives to us by His presence. By His presence. So this man, he goes there, uh, he, he lives like, a, uh, like, a, like an aristocrat, the, the, this younger son, and he's probably very popular because his father is very wealthy. Because if his father can say, all that I have is, is for, the, for the elder son, he still has something that's left over. I don't know how the math doesn't add up. He says, I give you the ring, which means a promise of more. Right? So how does the Lord have, how does the father have everything for the elder son and yet still have something for the younger son? The math doesn't work out. He must be extremely rich or he has a, a, a tremendous... Uh, 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 propensity to make more money. He is perhaps the infinite God. 
portrayed. Yeah? And so what happens is that he comes and he's stuck with himself and he cannot help it. He lives in loose living. He lives in loose living with prostitutes. He, he spends his life on, uh, the King James says, riotous living. Until he's completely depleted of everything. He can't help himself, you see. Left to our own devices, when God says, you may eat, we will hog it all. We will scuff it all down. There's no way. There's something compulsive about the way we are. There's something about we are uh, compulsive of, about the space and the, the, and, the, and the gracious privileges that God gives, gives to us. There's something in our relationship with these things that cannot take. We can only grab. We can only clutch it in our hands and we can only scuff it down and not enjoy it. There's something about enjoyment of good things that God gives to us that we don't have the ability to, 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 have, to, to, to be able to rightly enjoy. We can only scuff it down, uh, and Scripture says, in our lusts. And what God wants to do is heal us, make us free, bring His presence to us, give us true liberty. Not the liberty that comes by the accumulation of power or manipulating words or, or pressing buttons or using technology. It is... The freedom that comes when we bring him in and we come under his lordship. Amen? And so he comes and, and the, the King James Version says, and, he, would, and he, he hired himself out to some foreigner uh, who, who has pigs, which is not kosher, right? So he, he en- enters into an unclean life. And he says, and the King James says, and he fain would have fed himself with the husks that the swine did eat, but nobody gave. Fain would have, would, would have fed himself with the husks, but nobody gave. And that is the life of one who may eat, but who grabs it. God never intended for that to happen. That's why the Sabbath day, Sabbath year, was imposed upon the nation, nation of Israel. Because what the Sabbath says is this, I give you your inheritance, this is your land. But in the end, it's mine. Because your land is not your land to do whatever you want with it. Because every seven years, you do exactly what I tell you. You're not allowed to farm on that land. Every 40, 49 years, it goes back to the owner. The previous owner, even if he or she has mortgaged it, there are ways in which God stipulates his ownership of our life in spite of the fact he says, You may eat. Amen? There's something that I, I feel that, that is important. Think about it. And I'd like us to just, just bow our heads for a little and let the Holy Spirit come in all his goodness, his liberty. Are there ways in which time has been something that you crave for, but you can't help the tendency of taking that time and doing what you want with it and making it yours? May I urge you to surrender it to God. You see, the presence of the Spirit is predicated upon surrender and worship and unclutching of these things. Our reputation, our position, 
perhaps even accolades that we've received. Comfort. I believe that many people, many Christians, have had shipwreck in their lives and have made precious little progress, never exper- not experienced much of God's power and love and mighty works in their life on account of comforts. I know what it is to have as my idol comfort. Just want comfort. Don't ask for much. Just a cup of coffee on my table next to me, a book to read, whatever it is. Just comfort. I would bend time just for that. For some of us, they're not big things. They're just small things. For some of us, it's a relationship that's a legitimate relationship we have with somebody. But that person has become our property already. We found out it's God's will. And we've moved ahead with it. But we feel we can say anything we like to that person. Where is the place that you immediately dart to whenever you're wanting your own space? I believe these things are potential places of shipwreck. I cannot minimize these powerful things in our lives because they determine where what our mind's made of, what it's constructed of, what's the substance of our mind. Autonomous freedom leads to the pigsty. Nietzsche said, by being above the law, I'm the most outcast of outcasts. Come, O Lord, we welcome you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll finish off in a few moments. It says that the the son decided to come come back. It said in the King James version, I like it. It says he came back to himself. He when he came to himself, or uh, I think the NASB says it this way. Um, he came to his senses. I like King James because it says he came back to himself. He came back to what he was supposed to be. You know, his his proper relationship with God. And he says, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with myself. What he was realizing is that 
even his father's hired hands who actually work and, and are not um, fully autonomous with their time have enough to eat, enough bread, whereas he was dying. I'll get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son and make me with one of your hired servants. And he is actually dead as he gets up and he goes back to his father. And I'd like us to just consider how he approaches his father. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I've grasped hold of what I thought I, I considered my right and I made it my own. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father said to his slaves, quickly hang, bring, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. The first thing I want to put, it to, you, put to you is this, as he comes back, he comes back to the father and the presence of the father gives him freedom to act in a certain way. He says to his father, I'm not worthy. Make me one of your hired servants. He did not presume that it was his right to come back and just take his place again. Yeah? He did not presume that just because he came back, he could be his father's son anymore because he has already wished his father dead. He had made himself dead to the father. As far as the functional relationship the, the life-giving thing that causes him to have his inheritance was dead. But he came back to the father and he established a relationship in this way. This is something that we in America don't, don't really like to talk about much. And here it is, he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be your, son, servant, your, your, your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. He didn't say to the father, just as he said, like, give, me, give, me, give me the stuff. He didn't say to the father, I'm back. <laughs> I'm here to take my inheritance. The king is back. No, he didn't say that. He said, you know what? I don't deserve to be back. I'm unworthy. I've sinned against heaven. I'm in my sight. There's such a revelation of the wrong that he'd done. He didn't wait for the father. Sorry, he didn't insists upon the father giving him the ring and all that. He waited for the word from the father. And perhaps that is the hardest thing for all of us because we are constantly wanting to take the promises of God and says, you are, you are not condemned. You are not uh, um, uh, rejected by God. God is for you. God is for you. Don't worry. God is for you. We are all equal. We are the same. We are, we are loved by God. And that is all true. But it's not for you to claim as your own the way you claimed the freedom and the, and the may, I may, you may eat blessing from God. It is for God to say to you. And He will. But you have to wait for it. Amen? You cannot grasp upon yourself the fact that the new covenant means that in Christ we are made new. It is true. You have to stand upon it and you have to stand upon the fact that in Christ, I'm a new person. Therefore, I can live the, lived as God called me to live by His grace. We believe that, but we don't take it and, as our own and make it osmos into us. Because the Christian life is not one of osmosis, you see. Not just, it's not something in which I can name it and claim it. It has to be something in which we have the proper attitude towards the Lord as we approach Him. 
Amen? And so that's really important because what happens is that the son says, you know what, I'm honest, I, I, I've understood myself, I, I know the evil that's in me, I know what I've done, I know what, what, what I've done to offend you, and I've wished you dead. I've taken my, 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 my inheritance, I'm completely bankrupt, I have no rights, I can't name it, I can't claim it, no matter how much faith I have, no matter how many f- Bible promises I've got, no matter how many bi- Bible bullets I shoot at you. No, actually I have nothing in my hand I claim, simply to the cross I cling. And unless you give me the word that I can stand up from my, from, 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 from my groveling face, I am still down there until you speak the word. And he will. But you cannot take it for granted. You have to wait there until He gives it to you. Because until He gives it to you, you haven't heard it. And if you haven't heard it, you're just appropriating it. No, you can't appropriate things or osmose things so that you become a child of God and all that. No, you are a child of God because of God's thing. He has done more for you than you can imagine for yourself, no matter how much you grovel. He died on the cross for you. He took upon you, upon himself, all, all your sins and my sins, not only on the cross, but throughout his life. That's what the incarnation means. He took the thorns for you. Not, not, not when he went to the cross only, but when he was a child, when he was a baby. He carried your burdens, your sins, and your darkness upon yourself. Therefore, therefore don't even talk about the fact that he's waiting for you, waiting for you and not going to do anything for you. No. Everything... Is in his hands. He has made provision. But you and I, in order to have the assurance of the freedom, you've got to have the Lord speak it to your heart and say, Arise. I put the ring on your shoulder. I put the, the robe over your shoulder. Sorry, ra- ring on your finger. Robe on your shoulder. And I kill the, kid, kill the fatted calf which is a picture of the Old Testament understanding of the, of, the, of the sin and burnt offering, wherein everything is consumed. Everything of your past, everything of your shame is consumed by God at His own expense, not at yours, not at your behest, not at your naming and claiming, but because of His, what He has done. Amen? And, and, he, and he said, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Now, here's the deal. In order for us to experience that freedom in which no matter how bad we've been, we still have freedom. And no matter how far we are out of the circle, we still have a sense of belonging in this universe. You have to wait for Him, knowing that He has promised you. And you have to give Him the time. And never again live this way in which the promises of God and the rights of God are now something that I can take and strut and carry on myself with attitude. No, you hum- you're humble before the Lord. Amen? And it's as, you, as you do this, we re- experience the presence of the Lord. Amen? The presence of the Lord comes and is predicated through sacrifice and through su- surrender. And as we do this, we come before Him, the Lord, and we come before the Lord and say, Lord, my life is really yours. It's redeemed. It's not mine anymore. It's redeemed from the devil, but I don't own it anymore. It's you who own it. Amen? And there's great joy as that happens. Let us pray. I want to invite you to just open your hands before the Lord. Just open your hands before the Lord. This transaction can mean 
the hugest, biggest change in your life and my life. I believe the Lord gets to the root of even the way in which we relate to Him. If it, you've been feeling that you just don't belong, you just don't belong in the universe, you don't belong, you feel you belong to God. You've never heard that word of belonging, you belong to me. You've never felt the freedom to be able to rise above oppression of other people or lack The Lord is here. You don't have to be afraid. He that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. God said. But I want to be tied to you. I want you to be tied to me. Because I don't want to just give you things. I want to give you myself. And as God's Spirit breathes through nature, He breathes through things as well. He can breathe through cars. He can breathe through houses. He can breathe through friends. He can even breathe through people who are totally indifferent to you. Because He can infuse your life, a life that's tied to Him, with himself. Say, Lord, I want to live at your pleasure. Jesus, we just give you our even sin nature. We say even before all of our actions, what we knew what we were doing, there were things going on before we even realized what was going on. And so, Lord, we just say, we give you our sin nature. That's, that's the best place we can start because we can't even come to you with that sin nature. And we thank you. We thank you that you take it every morning. You take it every time we're struggling with it. We give it back to you, and you give us your son. We thank you that your son was that fatted, calf god thank you you give the fatted calf back to us when we give to you what we cannot control so we thank you and receive all we can do is receive we humble ourselves and say thank you for jesus amen we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and is now alive Thank you, Lord, that thus is your love for us. We who have been dead to you, always taking your promises for ourselves, taking all the blessings as our own, finding spaces for our own autonomy and living without you, living God-free places, spaces. We were so dead to you. And thank you for your rejoicing that quite apart from the fairness of all things, you say, my son was dead, now he's alive. 
And we thank you for making us alive at the very cost of yourself. We bless you, Lord. We, can, we turn our lives over to yourself to live at your pleasure. In Jesus' name, amen.